the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Worship fuels Christian service. It is meant to be a pit stop, not a parking spot. And you need to know the difference there. Worship is for service. Mountaintops get you ready for the valleys. And we need to embrace that. We worship, we wait, we work. Christian life is not a steady climb towards perfection. It's a roller coaster of ups and downs as we learn to live like Jesus in the midst of life's twists and turns. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark called Essential Jesus, and we're learning that the fuel that powers us through all these peaks and valleys is worship. Philip has titled this message, Highs and Lows. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Is it not true of you? Because I believe it's true of me. Because I believe it's true of us all. That our Christian experience is a series of highs and lows. Victories and defeats. Good days and bad days. Or to use image, we'll make clear here in the text, mountaintops and valleys. The fact is that the Christian experience is often made up of moments of elation followed by moments of deflation. Moments where we're carried in our spirits close to heaven itself, only to be brought down to earth with a bump, given something we're facing in life or something we're confronting in ministry. Moses went from the mountaintop to the valley when he descended from Mount Sinai after receiving the law, only to face the apostasy of the people of God in rebellion and idolatry. Elijah faced the mountain and the valley as he left Mount Horeb, having defeated the enemies of God, having seen the fire of God fall upon the altar, only to face the unrepentance and entrenched paganism of Ahab and Jezebel. Jesus faced the mountaintop and the valley, as we saw in Mark chapter 1, because following his baptism, where the Father says, this is my son, he's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Christian life is a series of highs and lows, mountains and valleys, and that's played out in the story. We're coming to Mark chapter 9 and verse 14 through to 29. Because here we have Jesus, Peter, James, and John descending from Mount Hermon, following the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ, where we saw the glory of Christ on display, unveiled, 
And as they come down the mountain, they are immediately confronted with the faithlessness of the crowd and the defeat of the disciples. In the space of one day, they go from the elation of the mountaintop to the deflation of the valley, from a spiritual high to a spiritual low, and that's often the case. And we're going to kind of just pick the text apart and learn some lessons about highs and lows. But before we do that, let's put the text into its context. Let's understand why Mark tells this healing narrative, and let's try and gauge what might be the purpose of including this material in his gospel. And I would suggest two things, because one of the themes of this story is the faithlessness of this generation. Jesus again encounters unbelieving Jews. We're moving now towards the passion. We're moving towards the cross. We're moving towards the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ and his impending death on Calvary's cross. And now we're seeing that there's a generation that is faithless. There's a generation that will ultimately reject him and crucify him. And I think there's another theme here that again puts the text in its context within the book of Mark, because here the disciples are defeated again. We have a defeated church in the midst of a desperate world, and that's not a good situation. This man comes to the disciples, would you cast out the demon? And they're not able to do it. And it calls Jesus' authority into question. There's a dispute going on. Jesus will come down, and again, he'll have to teach his disciples, look, guys, this doesn't come out but by prayer and by fasting. Matthew and Mark will tell us it's also a lack of faith on their part. But I think Mark is just reminding us again that we're into that part of the story where Jesus is continuing to train up the twelve and to disciple them and to develop them because, you know what, on the other side of his death by this faithless generation, there will come a commission to these men who are so human and so weak and who need to learn greater dependence upon God in prayer That's the lesson they're going to have to learn. So all of that said, if you're taking notes, here's several things I want us to learn from the text. Number one, I want us to consider what I'm calling the descent. The descent. Look at verse 9. Back up into verse 9. After the transfiguration, here's what we read. Now, as they came down from the mountain, that's where I'm getting my thought. There's a descent here. There's a transition within the text. We've gone from the heights of Mount Hermon and the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now down to the depths of the valley, we're at ground zero, and we meet a broken world, a disappointed father, and a defeated band of disciples. So I want you to just mark that transition, mark the descent that's taking place here. Verse 14, and when he came to the disciples, that's the nine remaining disciples, because he had only taken three, he meets them in the valley after the mountaintop. And what this text confronts us with is, talk about a letdown. Let's not forget, Peter didn't want to come down. Verse 5 of the story of the transfiguration tells us, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. That's a non-starter with God. And before you know it, they're off the mountaintop and into the valley. We go from worship to service. We go from inspiration to perspiration. That's the movement of the text. And it's an important movement because Peter 
wanted to stay there. He was happy with what he was experiencing on the mountain. He wanted to bottle that experience and keep it as a vintage remembrance of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that can happen. You know, we all know that somewhere across the weekend, it dawns on us that Monday's coming. Somewhere about Saturday or Sunday, you're enjoying your time off, and you're relaxing in the sun, and then you go, bummer, Monday's coming. And it kind of spoils it. And that's why we kind of put that thought off, because we don't want the thought of Monday overshadowing the joy of Sunday. And while that's not a great illustration, that's exactly what's going on with Peter. Can we not just stay up here? Do we have to go down to the valley? Can we not just bask in the glory of who you are, Lord? It's good for us to be here. I don't like down there. So that's the descent. And I do think we want to be challenged by that. We go from God to man, from worship to service, from inspiration to perspiration. But that's the way it is, and that's the way it should be. Because, you see, it is the mountains that prepare us for the valleys. It's encountering God in worship that refuels us and renews us for another week of service and ministry in a broken world. Isaiah 6, 1-9, right? Isaiah encounters God, the glory of God, the holiness of God, and God's glory fills the temple. But it doesn't stop there. He gets a sense of his commission before God and says, Lord, here am I, send me. Worship turns to work. The mountaintop is left behind, and the world is entered with a desire to fulfill a commission. You see it in Luke 24, 46 to 53, where the disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem so that they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which will equip them and do them with power so that, according to Acts 1, 8, what? They might be witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. Did you notice the movement again? It's wait. It's worship. It's receive. But then take what you've been given and go out into the world and expend it. Exhaust yourself in service. That's the lesson we need to learn here. That's why John MacArthur would say to us often at the Master's Seminary, the church gathers to worship, it scatters to evangelize. See, what's the purpose of Sunday morning? It's the purpose of the huddle in the football game. They huddle, but they break from the huddle to do what? To execute the game plan. And Sunday morning must never become a holy huddle in and of itself. We huddle, we worship, we stir one another up on the love and good works, we enjoy Christian fellowship and Christian love. It's a nice, refreshing break from the nonsense that's going on out there. But we huddle to hear the game plan from the Word of God so that under the quarterback plans of Jesus Christ, we go out to do what He asks us to do. We worship, we wait, we work. We meet God in the holy place so that we can indeed help man in the marketplace. Please don't miss that. That's the implication of the descent. It's kind of big picture. We go from the transfiguration to this scenario where the disciples weren't able to cast out this demon. Worship fuels Christian service. 
It is meant to be a pit stop, not a parking spot. And you need to know the difference there. What's the use of pulling into your filling station and getting a tank of gas if you don't intend to go somewhere with it? Filling is for running. Worship is for service. Mountaintops get you ready for the valleys. And we need to embrace that. A man arrived at church late one Sunday morning. He asked the deacon at the door, is the service over? To which the deacon wisely replied, the worship is over, but the service is only beginning. Let me challenge you just to see if this is working out in your life. It's not working in your life if you love theology and you don't love people. Well, you love to talk about evangelism, and you love to talk about the doctrines of grace, and you love to talk about the glory of God, but you don't work it out in evangelism, you don't work it out in Christian service. If you love theology but not people, you don't understand this transition. If your intersection with the world is only peripheral and on the outskirts of your everyday experience, you're not living this. If you dread Monday mornings, you're not living this. If all your friends are Christians, you're not living this. If you're powerless and paralyzed before a godless culture, you're not living this. So that's the descent. Let's move on to what I call the debate. This is verses 14 through 18. After Jesus and the three disciples come down and join the nine disciples that are remaining, Jesus finds himself in the middle of a confab and a conflict. Look what we read. He finds the scribes disputing with his disciples. We have what I'm calling the debate. And it's kind of hot and heavy. The word used here for dispute carries combative connotations to it. It's used throughout Mark's gospel of negative conversation between Jesus and Jewish leaders. It was probably over spiritual authority. We could assume that. The text doesn't tell us what the dispute was over, but we would assume this. Hey, this man brought this demon-possessed son to the disciples. Hey, guys, can you fix him? Can you heal him? Can you deliver him? They didn't. They couldn't. And therefore, it raises all kinds of questions. Well, if you are representatives of Jesus Christ, you can't deliver this boy from demons. It calls into question what you're saying to be true. It calls Jesus' authority into question. And I think a dispute ensued from that. You don't deliver what you promise, so you're a fake, and Jesus must be a fraud. And I'm guessing, boom, that lit the fire, and we're into a big dispute here. And Jesus lands right in the middle of it. One little footnote, verse 15. We read that when Jesus arrives, that the crowd was amazed and ran to him to greet him. It's interesting. Many commentators would argue that their surprise is due to the afterglow of the transfiguration. You remember the parallels between the transfiguration of Jesus on Mount Hermon and the kind of transfiguration of Moses on Mount Sinai? And if you go back to that story, Moses comes down, his face is shining, and the people are like, wow. And people say that's why they're amazed. When Jesus comes, there's like the afterglow of the transfiguration, and they're surprised and amazed. With all due respect, I don't think we need to overread the text. I think what you've got here is just the crowd is showing nervous joy because Jesus is there. And I think they're showing raised hopes. Well, these guys didn't deliver, but now the master's here. Maybe we'll see some fireworks. 
So there's a surprise, there's an astonishment, there's a growing amazement on the part of the crowd. And I think the better argument is, look at verse 9 of Mark 9. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one of the things they have seen. Wouldn't it be fair to deduce from that, guys? I don't want you to talk about the experience up on the mountain. Well, if Jesus has the afterglow of the transfiguration, what's he doing? He's giving the game away when he told them not to talk about it. So I think that's what's going on here. Now, in the middle of this dispute, a man steps forward and says, I'll explain to you why we're debating this and why there's a big dispute here, according to verse 16. I have a son. He's mute and he's tormented and he needs to have a deliverance. And I came to your disciples and they fell way short of what was needed and what was desired. Now, let me just make an argument quickly that this is a true case of demon possession. Because liberal theologians and secularists will come to this tact and go, let's explain this. Remember, you know, what you've got going on in the Gospels is the historic Jesus kind of encapsulated with folklore and religious myth. And the reason that people conclude that this boy is demon-possessed, because it's before medical science, this is a case of epilepsy. And quite frankly, as the man describes the boy's predicament, you know, he foams, he gets into spasms, and he gets rigid. Certainly, if you've had to deal with someone with epilepsy, it's not a world away, and you could see where that might be argued. And I'm not denying that the symptoms may not be epilepsy, because demons can make people sick. But listen, it's much more than physical. And I'll tell you why. Verse 20, when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed. Now, He could again make an argument, but it would be pure coincidence that he has an epileptic fit just as soon as he encounters the Lord Jesus. No. It's the spirit that makes him deaf and dumb that's reacting to the presence of the glorious Lord Jesus. This is much more than physical or spiritual warfare going on here. Look at the end of verse 18. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. And certainly that troubles the disciples because verses 28 and 29, Jesus is asked a question by his defeated disciples. Why could we not cast it out? So there's a sense of pessimism and defeat on their part. And here's the point. What we've got in this story in picture form is a defeated church in the presence of a desperate world. Here's a father pleading for a game changer. You know, from he's been a child, he's been afflicted, tormented. I mean, demons don't take up possession in an unbeliever's body simply because they're looking somewhere to live. They want to destroy lives. And then the Father's pleading, and the disciples don't deliver. Now remember, back in Mark 6, these are the apostles, and there's a uniqueness about the apostles. Don't you be looking to do everything the apostles did. But these were unique men in the foundation of the church, specially gifted. In Mark 6, they are given authority to cast out demons. And they do it on several occasions. That's what's so mystifying about this. And that's why they'll say, Lord, what happened? Why couldn't we cast it out? Because we have done it before, and today we couldn't do it. And Jesus will say, I'll tell you why. Prayer and dependence upon me. That was missing, guys. 
You're beginning now to depend upon the gift and not the grace that stands behind the gift and the giver of the gift. But I want you to see a defeated church in the midst of a desperate world. Isn't that a sad sight? The, the, the disciples added hurt to this man's sorrow because they didn't do what they could do, and they weren't what they should have been to him. I came to your disciples, and they couldn't. And remember, they couldn't do is not the case that they couldn't do. They just were not able to do. And I just want to be challenged by that, that these men who should have been the solution were a problem to this father. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? It's a bit embarrassing that they didn't deliver. Their inability, their ineffectiveness gave an opening to the detractors of Christ. There's a dispute going on, and the disciples are the cause of it because their failure have raised questions about the ability and authority of Jesus Christ who they're representing. Now, it's Sunday morning. Sorry, Monday's coming. Let's embrace it because we've got to come down off the mountain into the valley, and we've got to be challenged. On a Monday morning before the world, you and I better be all that God promises the world that we will be. You want to know them? You'll know them by their love. Is Jesus' reputation safe with you? Will your life look anything like what the gospel promises it to be when it's transformed by the grace of God? Will you not yield to sin but become an instrument of righteousness? Will you love your enemies? Will you forgive those that hurt you? Will you walk in the power of the Spirit of God and show that greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world? Will you be those things? That's challenging, guys. Bold Bible teaching from Philip DeCourcy today on Know the Truth. The message is titled Highs and Lows. Have you been following along with Philip's teaching through the Gospel of Mark? If you aren't able to catch the program here every day, you can stream or download any of Philip's messages and request the CDs on our website. Go to ktt.org and look for the series called Essential Jesus. Well, Philip, it's nice to have you here in the studio now with some exciting news about the recent growth and impact of Know the Truth. Thanks, Wayne. I'm, I'm frankly overjoyed to share with our listeners what God is doing through this ministry, Know the Truth. And we're so thankful, too, for our, the support of faithful listeners. You know, we have a seven-year history. And as I look back, um, I'm a spectator to all that God is doing. We've seen tremendous growth. It's hard to believe now, Wayne, that we're on close to 600 stations with a potential audience, wait for it, of more than 175 million people. So our net gets spread uh, pretty widely, and we're reaching more listeners each and every day. We're meeting needs. Lives are being changed by God's truth. Uh, the verse that drives this ministry is John 8, 32. Uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And people are finding freedom freedom from uh, uh, sin's dominion, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from anxiety. And we're just overjoyed at what God is doing and uh, the support that we're getting from our audience. And we're looking forward to the next season 
in this ministry. In fact, this past year has been a, a year of historic opportunity. We have uh, expanded uh, a great measure. We've been given new platforms for the ministry. And therefore, I want to put a call out to our listeners today. Um, for those that have supported us, thank you. But for those that are listening, and perhaps God would lay it on your heart to come alongside us and partner with us financially. We would really appreciate that. We need your urgent help. Uh, we're moving ahead. We don't want to look back. We need others to come alongside us and support us both prayerfully and also financially. And if you're willing to do that, and I hope you are, uh, please go to our website. Uh, give us a call uh, today here at KTT and pledge your support. We will be deeply grateful and people will be eternally thankful. Yes, please give your donation right now by calling 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. We'll be saying thanks for your gift today with a timely book since the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation is this month. The book is titled The Reformation Still Matters and it's by Michael Reeves and Tim Chester. Find out why the revolution started by Martin Luther and John Calvin continues to be relevant today when you request The Reformation Still Matters. Call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us Tuesday as Philip DeCourcy continues our journey through the Gospel of Mark right here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. folks. Rich Lee here. Well, my pillow has now made it easier than ever to own a MyPillow. Not only are they still offering a 10-year warranty, not only is it guaranteed not to go flat, made in USA, washable, dryable, and the official pillow of the National Sleep Foundation, but now, here's their best offer yet. For a limited time, go to MyPillow.com or call 800-517-3636 and use promo code WAVA to take advantage of Mike Lindell's four-pack special. You'll get 40% off two MyPillow premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. Now you can take your MyPillow with you when you travel and even give one to a friend there is no excuse to delay any longer purchase the best pillow i have ever owned call 800-517-3636 do that today and get the four pack special that's 40 percent off two my pillow premium pillows and two go anywhere pillows my pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you'll stay there longer call 800-517-3636 notice the difference a good night's sleep can make at home and now even when you travel call 800-517-3636 or mypillow.com promo code wava Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.